one of the least known things, but they're probably the highest visibility, is most of the large casinos in Vegas and even the large wind casino out by you in Boston is a triple net lease. So those are owned by real estate investment trusts, and they invest in the building and the tenant operates it. And one of the reasons why tenants, because I, I hear this a lot, it's like, why would a tenant not just pay for the property? Well, if they're a public corporation, having the actual ownership on their property actually creates problems with them because it creates this dead asset that is not producing any revenue. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth season of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. Real estate investing is not rocket science, but it's not a fairy tale either. It's an incredible investment vehicle that builds and grows wealth. I have done it, and this is why so many of the wealthiest people in America and in the world, actually, invest in real estate as well. Listen in every week to learn about all the different real estate asset classes, which strategies experienced and successful investors use to live their best lives and the processes to do it. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just listen in every week to grow your knowledge along with me and to move your finances to a place where you can live an extraordinary life. This show is sponsored by my company, Blue Lake Capital, where we help passive investors grow their wealth through large multifamily investments and funds. To learn more about my company and invest in with me, visit www.bluelake-capital.com. Welcome to Ready to Scale Season 4. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to yet another episode of Ready to Scale. My name is Jeanette Robinson, Director of Investor Relations with Blue Lake Capital. Joining me today is Michael Flight. Michael is the principal of Concordia Realty Corporation since 1990 with a wealth of experience to share. He's also the CEO of Liberty Real Estate Fund since 2019, as well as the co-founder of Blockchain Real Estate Summit. He attended Concordia University in Chicago, and from a volunteering aspect, he sits on the Real Estate Board of Directors for the Chicago Hope Academy, as well as serves on the Real Estate Advisory Council for Sunshine Gospel Ministries. He is coming to us today from probably the cold and brisk Chicago, much like Boston is today. So Michael, welcome to the show. We're a little bit warmer for November, so I'll take it. But thank you for inviting me, Jeanette. Nice, nice. What's the temperature out there today? I think we're up in the 50s, which I'm not going to complain for November. Yeah, no, I'm jealous. We are in the low 40s today. It's definitely a bit chilly. But I'm so glad you're here on the show, and I think that the listeners are really going to be interested in what you have to share. I actually saw that you have the, quote, unofficial title of being the godfather of blockchain real estate. So today, which is actually we're recording on November 29th, we're going to talk about digital currency, its role in real estate investing, the meltdown, of course, of what happened with FTX. And also finish it off with an interesting discussion on triple net leases. So, Michael, let's go ahead and kind of just jump right on in. How did you end up developing an interest in getting into digital currency when it comes to real estate investing? It was a long process. I had been hanging out with some free market people, probably right around like the 2000s or even earlier than that. And 
I was at a conference and, you know, somebody had mentioned, and this was around 2014, somebody had mentioned to me Bitcoin and I didn't understand it. And I always explained that I went to a public school, so I don't know how to do math. So I didn't understand what Bitcoin was, but I'm also involved with a startup country in Europe called Liberland. And through that, there were some guys out of Romania that were doing in 2017, 18, this thing called an ICO, which is an initial coin offering. And basically, they were running Airbnbs in Bucharest, Romania, and they issued a coin and raised about a million too. And so I'm like, if these guys who know nothing about real estate can do this, and there's all this money being raised out there with what I would call scam projects. I mean, what if you like actually did something concrete and made you know real estate more liquid? So that's what I started investigating. We helped them with their white paper. Their white paper had the word awesome in it 400 times. So we did some consulting for them. And then you know, I said, I want to do this in the United States. And then I soon found out that it's like, oh, well, we have to comply with all the regular securities laws that we've always had to comply with. And so what we went on probably from about 2019 to issue Liberty Fund was an extensive process of spending a lot of money on legal fees, spending a lot of money on accounting fees, and trying to do this legally. So what we're doing with the Blockchain Real Estate Summit and with Blockchain Real Estate in general is completely legal. It's just like a normal syndication, except that these can trade. And they just use the same rails as cryptocurrency, but it makes real estate theoretically more liquid. And we believe that it's going to open up a lot of the rest of the world to invest in U.S. real estate because, you know, the U.S. is still the most stable market in the world. And so we really like the concept. So that's how it's much different than the scam that was FTX. And FTX really wasn't even almost a crypto scandal as much as it was just plain outright theft. So they just took the people's money that they had on their quote unquote exchange and just used it to prop up their fund that was, you know, having problems. So that's, to me, I still believe in Bitcoin. I don't believe in a lot of some of the other stuff that's going on out there in cryptocurrency. Interesting, interesting. Now, we'll, we'll definitely dig into FTX a bit further. But before we do, you know, if you can just really help break this down for, you know, me, for the, the average listener, for anybody that really hasn't, you know, played in the landscape, if you will, of, you know, digital currencies. So, you know, from a real estate syndication standpoint, which is what we do, you know, our investors wire over funds. Those funds are allocated to X number of units and the units essentially represent their percentage of ownership within the asset. That's how it works, you know, for real estate syndication on our end. How does it work? Can you kind of break it down for me and what that looks like on the digital side of it? Sure. So issuing a security token is exactly the same process and exactly the same legal steps as issuing a regular syndication. So you would choose whether you want to do a 506C or a 506B, which would be for accredited investors, or you could also do a regulation A, which would be for accredited and not accredited investors. So those are all the exact same thing. The difference is, and what the way I like to describe blockchain is just like the internet is created this instantaneous communication. So we can basically have this, you know, video show for free because the internet created that. 
Well, with blockchain, it creates instantaneous value transfer or money transfer or you know transfer of title. So that's what blockchain does. So then that means that if I wanted to send you a USDC stablecoin, which is backed by the US dollar and they have dollar reserves, I could just say, Jeanette, I'm sending this over to you and boom, within like five minutes or 10 minutes, it would you know show up and it's there versus ordinarily I would have to wire money to you. And it's very difficult to wire money outside the United States if you've ever done that before. But with, you know, using the blockchain rails, you can wire it anywhere in the world and get confirmation basically within 10 minutes. So that's the value transfer part of it. So if you take that value transfer network and you say, I'm going to issue shares of my syndication on these value transfer network, then those shares can trade. So then I can say, Jeanette, I'm in this deal right now and I do, you know, net lease properties and I've got, let's say, $100,000 worth at $10,000 per share and I want to sell $30,000 to you. As long as you agree to take those $30,000, you agree to pay the $30,000, I put the shares up, you put the money up and boom, the transfer goes through. Now, there's also some steps in between there because it's regulated. So we have to do what any syndicator should be doing anyways, which is know your customer, making sure that you're not involved with money laundering. And if it's within a certain time frame, checking to whether you're an accredited investor or not. But the really cool thing about security tokens, and this has been approved by the SEC, is after a one-year lockup period, if you do a 506C or a 506B, after a one-year lockup period, those shares of your syndication in general partnership can trade to accredited or non-accredited investors. Wow. Very, very interesting. It's definitely kind of would be a brave new world for me, maybe some of our listeners as well. I'm just kind of, you know, wrapping my mind around the whole idea of it. So it seems to really kind of operate in a similar space, but with definitely some differences. Whereas typically in a traditional syndication, you know, you're not liquid. You cannot transfer those ownership, you know, the ownership of those units over, you know, throughout the holding period and things like that. Is it because it's on the blockchain that it it essentially has basically the option to be able to do that? Yes. Number one, it makes it easier to keep track of the shares. So theoretically, it's going to help sponsors like Blue Lake Capital to manage their investors better because they can track their investors better. And, you know, it automates investor tracking and things like that. And number two, it assists, you know, with tracking and trading things. So it makes it easier for them to be have liquidity. It makes it easier to list them on different exchanges. And it also opens up some investor options, even in the fact for estate planning. So instead of, you know, like I've got two sons. And so me and my wife, we've got the same $100,000 investment again. Me and my wife decided that we're going to keep 40000 and we're going to distribute 30000 to each of our sons. It makes that estate planning a little bit easier than doing it with the paper shares, even though you can still do that. And it also makes it easier that potentially you could put your shares up and there's markets out there right now 
that if they get comfortable with the value of your shares in the underlying asset, they will actually lend against your shares. You as an investor could get leverage on your syndication shares. So it gives a lot of investor options. And we believe in the long term, it's going to increase efficiency for sponsors and you know, hopefully take some of the fees out that you know, you've got to do all this accounting work, you've got to do all this cap table management and things like that. And so we believe that hopefully a lot of that's going to be passed on to investors because things are going to be much more efficient and also transparent. Wow, fascinating. And now this is, of course, you know, going to be a segue straight to FTX. What are some of the downsides and the risks of taking this approach? I mean, obviously, you know, FTX and what you're talking about are not apples to apples. You know, you can go ahead and definitely speak to that because I'm sure that that is not the association you want. But, you know, beyond that, can you also share with us what are some of the risks or the downfalls? How can investors protect themselves if they choose to take this approach? Well, I like to highlight the fact that FTX happened. And number one, there was a reason why they were in the Bahamas, because, you know, they wanted to avoid U.S. regulation. Ours has years since 1933. It's the same investment act that we've been using since 1933. So, you know, when you and I do a syndication, we're complying with U.S. securities laws. And so the great thing about this and the great thing about investing in Blue Lake or you know our product is the fact that it's regulated by the SEC so that you're doing things and people can you know understand. The other great thing that in the difference between we're not doing crypto, we're actually doing regulated securities and it's issued under the auspices of the US. Some of it's issued, they're doing the same thing in Europe or they're doing the same thing in Singapore, which also has extremely stringent securities laws. And so you have to issue under the securities laws where, you know, you're getting your investors from. So we like to point to FTX and say, you could gamble on that stuff and who knows what's behind it. Or you can say, I know Blue Lake Capital. I know that Blue Lake Capital has this track record and I'm going to invest in these things because I know them personally. And we that's why I like real estate even a lot better than the stock market, because you don't control you know, what's going on with the CEO of McDonald's or something like that. So you're just kind of hoping and praying that they're going to you know, basically do the same thing and not do stupid things. But you can have a relationship with, you know, like Jeanette from Blue Light Capital. And so that's why, you know, we really like this. And again, it's exactly the same thing as a normal syndication. And when I was talking to a lot of crypto bros back in 2020, 2021, I said, you know, maybe you should take something off the table and invest in something stable because, you know, you, and they're like, oh man, you know, I've got a 10,000% increase. I'm like, well, very rarely is that stuff like, you know, always hang around. So maybe you want, might want to take some of that, you know, like maybe 5,000 and put it into something that actual cash flow. And that's the other scam with crypto is they say, oh, we're going to pay you these staking things and we're going to pay you this return. And I don't know where that return comes from, but if I invest with Blue Lake Capital or if I invest with Liberty Real Estate Fund, I know that Blue Lake Capital has tenants paying in those apartment buildings and they're paying on a monthly basis. And if you invest in Liberty Real Estate Fund, we've got giant corporations that you know have large balance sheets that are signing long-term leases. And the reason why I like net lease properties is nothing but net income. So 
the money gets deposited directly into the bank account, like from McDonald's, it's an ACH payment every month that's deposited in you know, our bank account five days ahead of the first of the month. So that's what you know is backing security tokens. And that's why they're called security tokens, because they're securities. Interesting. So this leads us to the next part of our discussion, which is talking about triple net leases. So, you know, can you help the listeners understand, just give us a broad overview, what are triple net leases, what type of tenant base are signing these types of agreements, and what are some of the benefits, you know, to these types of agreements? Sure. Well, triple net leases means that the tenant pays for the real estate taxes. They also pay for the property and liability insurance, and they also pay for the maintenance of the building. So you can remember what a triple net lease is by the acronym TIM, Taxes, Insurance, and Maintenance. And so a single net lease would be, and the reason why it's net is because it nets out Instead of gross income, it nets out to net income. So a single net lease would be the tenants paying the real estate taxes. A double net lease, you know, or two NN would be the tenant is paying both the real estate taxes and the property insurance. And a triple net lease means that the tenant is paying for also the maintenance. On these buildings, like you see when you see an individual Starbucks or you see an individual Walgreens, or you see an individual Burger King or McDonald's and they're you know on a standalone unit, those are typically complete triple net leases so that the tenant pays not only for, you know, they also pay you rent and they pay utilities, but they also pay the real estate taxes directly. And most of the time, if there's snow in Boston or Chicago, they're paying for, you know, snow removal, parking lot sweeping, landscaping, and all the rest of it. And the reason why tenants like to do this is because, number one, it's a write-off for them, but number two, they can control their expenses and they can control their real estate. So it's just another way of doing it. One of the differences is, though, is that the cap rates are typically lower than what you would see if you were buying a grade A apartment building. So they'd be very similar because you're guaranteed income. So what I like to describe triple net leases, especially single tenant triple net leases, is bonds wrapped in real estate. So if you're doing value add apartment buildings, that's kind of like your growth company, you're investing in it, you know that you know your income is going to go up versus the triple net leases. It's typically guaranteed by a nice financially sound corporation. But the leases are typically flat for five years at a time, and they're long-term leases. So during the downturns, triple net, most people, or especially like institutional real estate owners, will flip into triple nets because it's something that's steady, it's cash flow, and it smooths out the up and downs of the downturns. And this is my fifth downturn, so... Interesting, interesting. Now, it seems surprising to me that they just don't buy the real estate outright, you know, is one of the things that kind of surprises me. So I assume that this must be part of the strategy, if you will, of really capitalizing on, you know, a tenant base like, you know, these large corporations that are looking for these triple net leases. So essentially, is the strategy basically those who find the best location first win? You know, what is kind of the strategy behind setting up, you know, an intention of being able to build out an entire portfolio with triple net leases. 
Sure. So I should probably qualify. You can do triple net leases with retail, which is like shopping centers. You could do them with office buildings where, you know, one tenant leases an entire office building. You can do them with industrial buildings. One of the least known things, but they're probably the highest visibility, is most of the large casinos in Vegas and even the large wind casino out by you in Boston is a triple net lease. So those are owned by real estate investment trust, and they invest in the building and the tenant operates it. And one of the reasons why tenants, because I, I hear this a lot, it's like, why would a tenant not just pay for the property? Well, if they're a public corporation, having the actual ownership on their property actually creates problems with them because it creates this dead asset that is not producing any revenue. So they get punished in their stock price if they have a lot of assets sitting on their balance sheet and it's not creating any revenue. And they actually get favorable treatment if it's in the form of a lease because it's a straight expense and they don't have that liability of the asset there. Very interesting. And so kind of back to part of my question before, if you want to build out a strategy to really you know, build out an entire portfolio of triple net lease tenants, how do you do that? Number one, and I, again, speak primarily from retail because I started out in shopping centers and you know it's primarily what I know. There's other people that I know that are very successful. They go out and approach industrial building owners that might have like a factory or something. And they say, uh, we'll free up some of your capital in your business. We'll buy your building for you and do what's called a sale leaseback. Uh, we typically don't do that. We work with retail tenants. And if I were somebody, I would specialize in a retail tenant that they knew. Like I know some people really focus on dollar stores. Some people focus on fast food restaurants because they like the restaurant business. But you have to know a little bit about the retailer's business to know whether it's a good location or a bad location. The tenants that Liberty Fund invest in are called necessity businesses. So they're automotive services, they're what we call medtail, which is medical retail, you know, doctors, dentists, and dock in the box, emergency rooms, dialysis centers are typically national tenants. We also focus on grocery stores and dollar stores and things that are necessity businesses that people need to go and, and do in person. And we decided to focus on that back around 2017 because we could see that Amazon was eating away at the margins at a lot of tenants. And then a lot of people say, well, Amazon's, everything's going to go online. And we knew from being in the business since the 1980s that retail changes like every 10 years. So, you know, right now there's no reason to ever go to a department store. You know, there's no use for department stores. And, you know, most people are shopping at specialty stores or they'll buy a lot of the things that you buy from a department store online. So, like I said, we assume that there's going to be cars around for probably the next 20 to 50 years. So people will need to get their car washed, their car serviced, tires and all the rest of it. And even if it goes with batteries, they're still going to need tires and car washes. So with the aging of the population, we believe that there's going to be a lot more need for convenient medical. So we really like that. But again, you know, most people don't want to buy their groceries online. And Amazon discovered that too. And that's why they bought Whole Foods. And that's why they're expanding, you know, Amazon Fresh. So 
if somebody wanted to go out and develop and look into, I would recommend first knowing a little bit about the business that they're interested in investing in, because you essentially are investing in the business and you're investing in the credit of the tenant. So you want to make sure that the tenant is going to be around for 10 years if it's a 10-year lease, and you want to know whether it's a good location for that tenant. So that's the first thing I would do. The other thing that I would do is there's brokers that specialize in triple net leases. And a lot of people, for example, you, when you eventually get tired of owning apartment buildings, you're going to say, I want to retire, kick back and look for some mailbox money. So I'm going to 1031 into these single tenant triple net leases. So I don't have to do any work. And then the tenant just sends me the check. So I would start developing a relationship with some triple net brokers. There's a ton of triple net properties out there. The nice thing about the triple net market is it's a very active market and there's a lot of liquidity in it. You know, if you go out there and, and look up triple net leases right now, you're going to find a lot of things on the market. And it's probably easier to find the type of thing that you're looking for than it is to go out and find, you know, the just perfect value add apartment or, you know, the apartment that you're looking for. So from that standpoint, and I would also recommend we do a lot of education and we actually have a podcast called the Nothing But Net Show that tells people a little bit more in depth because it's it's hard just to say in five minutes, oh, here's how you invest in triple net properties. Kind of like it's hard to say, oh, this is how we invest in apartment buildings because it is a little bit different. Interesting. And I do have to touch on the 1031 there. So I'm a little bit confused because, you know, technically, if we were able to, you know, with a 1031 exchange, it has to be a like kind asset. Is there some type of workaround that you're aware of that allows investors to do a 1031 from a multifamily asset into retail? The like kind means it has to be real estate. So you can't 1031. So it has to be income producing real estate. So you can 1031 into any kind of commercial real estate. So you can 1031. And again, I have to make this claim and, and so do you. I'm not an attorney. I'm not an accountant. Everybody should check with this. But you can 1031 from an apartment building into a mobile home park or a self-storage place or anything. It's like kind in that it's commercial real estate. You cannot 1031 into like a private house that you're going to live in. And you can't 1031 technically from an operating business into real estate. So it just has to be commercial real estate. So that's why I said it's very popular for people that have actively managed real estate when they get to be about my age. And that's probably why I like, you know, triple net properties even more. I want to like cut back on, you know, tenant hassle a lot and all the rest of it. So when the tenant calls me up and says, hey, uh, I have a problem with my air conditioner and can you get somebody to fix it? I just kind of say, well, can you look at lease clause 33 where it says you're fully responsible for maintaining that? And I'm sorry, you can go out and get somebody to fix it. So that's the great thing about triple net leases is no toilets, no trash and no termites. And it takes away a lot of tenant hassles. Very interesting. Very interesting. I'll have to look further into the 1031 exchange. My understanding was you can't do it that way, but 
Maybe that's also one of the differences between maybe utilizing digital currency, you know, basic versus, I don't know, the straightforward. This 1031 is like, doesn't have anything to do with that. So as a matter of fact, we've got two episodes dealing with 1031s because triple net properties are so popular with people wanting to trade out of actively managed properties into less actively managed properties. So we've got one with one of the best 1031 facilitators and I forgetting his name now, it's Bill Exeter. So we had one with him. We had another one with a broker that just specializes in 1031s. So it is that, and like I said, people should look up and you know check with their accountant and all the rest of it, but it is like kind as long as it's income producing commercial real estate. Very interesting. Well, yes, of course, none of us, you know, here are attorneys or, you know, CPAs or anyone else that can speak, you know, to this with expertise, but very interesting. I'll have to definitely look into that. And it's always fun to learn something new, which is the benefit of being able to do exact things like this and have podcasts and talk to other professionals that are also doing real estate investments in different ways and shapes and forms. So very interesting. Yeah. And one of the things just going further on that is there are people that do what are called Delaware Statutory Trust, DST. Mm -hmm. So you can 1031 out of your apartment building into a DST, but there's also syndicators that will set up a portion of their syndication. So they'll do the normal syndication with accredited investors. And then a portion of it, they'll say it's eligible for a 1031. I don't know the exact process of that because we haven't done it. It, It's a little bit more complex, but there are syndicators out there that will accept 1031 into their syndication. Very interesting. I learned not too long ago, also thanks to the podcast, that another option for that is very similar to a DST, but it's actually an IST, an installment sales trust, which is very similar, but yet another option. So yeah, there's so many ways, you know, that you can actually structure your deals and your strategies. And that's why it's always fun. Well, Michael, this has been great. Thank you so much for some very interesting information all the way across the board. A lot of this is, you know, very new to me and I'm sure some of our listeners also, and it's, you know, great to be able to, to understand the different options that we all have, you know, to diversify our portfolios and our investments. And ultimately, we've all got the same goal, which is, you know, being able to build wealth and, you know, live a high quality life. So on that note, just to have a little bit of fun, we have arrived to the point of the interview that's called our lightning round questions, which are five questions that I ask all of our guests that come on the show. So are you ready? Yes, ma'am. All right. So aside of all this business talk, what is the hobby that you have? Uh, The hobby I have is probably travel or eating at restaurants. Nice, nice. I am also a foodie. I will admit I enjoy it a lot. Now, what is something that most people don't know about you that might be a little bit of a fun fact you can share with us? Some people probably might know this, but I originally went to college to be a Lutheran pastor, and then Greek and Hebrew were a sign from God that I should not be a Lutheran pastor, so I ended up in real estate. (laughs) Very interesting, very interesting. Little tidbit that a lot of people also don't know about me is I also graduated from a Baptist university, and I took Koinonia Greek for two years, and it was very challenging. So I can appreciate your sentiment there. So you went way further than I did. (laughs) It was fascinating. I enjoyed it, but you know, you move on in life, right? You have different seasons. Now, what about as far as books? You know, what are you currently reading, or what do you really recommend investors need to include in their library? 
I have an entire list of books that I, I give to the interns that we have here. And then most of the people that work here are below 35. So right now reading, you know, more history type of books. And I'm also reading uh, books on computer programming and more along the lines of, of blockchain because it's something that I, I need to read more of. One of the best investor books I recommend to a lot of people is Gary Keller wrote The One Thing, which is a great book, you know, focusing on your goals and things like that. But he also wrote something like The Millionaire Real Estate Investor, which is an excellent way if you're just starting out in real estate to, to think about real estate. There's another book that I recommend, but it's out of print now. So I, I'm not going to recommend that one. So I, I would start with that. And then the, the biggest one, and I actually got this book. I've, I've got my dad's copy of it that, you know, it's from 1957, but how to win friends and influence people. So I, you know, just can't say enough, even to the point, and I'm not sure if it's in that book or anything else, but it's even smiling on the phone because people can hear the smile in your voice and, and just different things like that. But it's helped me become less shy and more you know, outgoing and also more considerate when I'm at a conference to make sure that if there's somebody, you know, around the edge of this conversation to invite them in just to participate in the conversation. And it just makes life better. So that's another one I would recommend. Yeah, definitely a good book. I also have read it and I'm a big fan of it. And fun fact here for the listeners is that we actually met at a conference recently. So obviously you put it into action. <laughs> All right. So one of our goals here at Blue Lake Capital that we really encourage all of our investors to do is to remain focused on building an extraordinary life. So what would be your advice that you would share with others in being able to do that, to build an extraordinary life for themselves? Well, I have always been interested in financial freedom. And the reason why I'm interested in financial freedom is because you can't have any other form of freedom unless you have financial freedom. So financial freedom is upstream of political freedom, upstream of time freedom, and all the rest of that. So I would say, you know, build a solid financial foundation and the rest of it will go with it. And then having been through a number of ups and downs and having, you know, in 2008 lost 40 to 50% in my retirement accounts in the stock market and things like that, capital preservation is a big thing. So I would, and, and there's a lot more information out there now than when I was starting. Because when I started out in real estate, there there wasn't even an internet and really mobile phones weren't a thing either. So there's so much more information out there. Just be careful. Don't get fixated on a guru. Listen to, you know, like listen to what Jeanette has a little bit and some of the people that come on and then listen to some other people that are saying some things and then make some good decisions and try not to think in conventional wisdom. And, and this is just one more thing and then I'll, I'll stop talking. But if you really want to be happy, do not watch the news or listen to the news. Just ignore it because it's all negative and it's just going to suck you into anxiety and all the rest of it. You'll live a much better life not even paying attention to the news. <laughs> all right. Well, very good advice indeed. Last but not least, Michael, if our guests want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? They can go to our website, libertyfund.io. That's libertyfund.io. 
has a lot of resources on there, not only blockchain real estate, but also triple net properties. And it has, you can pick up some of the things you can pick and choose if you don't want to do, you know, all the uh, episodes of the triple net stuff. You can go to the 1031 triple net podcast part of it. But libertyfund.io is the, the best place to get a hold of me and also learn more about both blockchain and the, we even have a blockchain report on there. Awesome. All right. Well, very interesting. Thank you so much for sharing so much information with us today. I definitely appreciate it. And for those of you that have joined us today, listening in or watching in, thank you also for your time. We greatly value it. Please don't forget to like, rate, and review the show. Let us know what you'd like to hear more of. And in the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful, happy holiday season. Keep being bold, keep moving forward, and go build an extraordinary life. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.